I'm Sloan. And this is High Crime. It is. <laughs> Except in this episode, because everything is still so crazy and I personally don't feel well, not because of COVID, this episode is not a true crime story, but scary stories. We are reading creepy pastas because I love them. <laughs> Can you tell, can you explain to me and to some of our viewers, whether they're older, what it is, or just not an internet. Yeah. What's a creepypasta? Okay. So uh, I don't really know where the name came from, but I know that creepypastas are basically just like, it's like fan fiction kind of, it's just like people submit, it's a website It start on Reddit and it's a website and people just submit there's different categories and different genres you know there's a two sentence horror stories or it's just you just whatever they can they switch it by length so if whether it's short or long they're just submitted uh like community generated stories and some of them have gotten really big a couple of the ones that we're going to read have been on this really awesome show called um Channel 0 have you heard Ooh. of that? No, I know nothing. Ever. It's really awesome. I want to say it's on sci-fi, but that could be wrong. But it's called Channel Zero, and they literally do – they take a creepypasta, and then they make a whole season of television based on that one story. So Ooh. there's a couple that I picked for tonight just because they're, like, famous ones if you're not familiar with creepypastas. So, like, No End House – shit, why am I forgetting? I put the list together. No End House, Candle Cove. There's like a couple I picked that um, check out Channel Zero and you can see a whole uh, TV season. My favorite is Candle Cove. I think that season was really good and really creepy. But bottom line is they are just kind of quicker bites. They have their flaws because they're not, you know, famous published works. They're kind of like urban legends you tell your friends. Like that's basically what it's basically like virtually – telling scary stories to each other. Oh, you know what I want to do one day? Because I'm from New Jersey originally, I would like to do a weird New Jersey episode sometime. Okay. That's the, like, original creepypasta. It was, like, these guys who just compiled all of the weird stuff that happens in New Jersey and all of the urban – we have a lot of urban legends as well, so, Mm. yeah. I mean, every – Every state has them. Every city, probably. No, New Jersey is weirder. (laughs) It's the best. It's the weirder. It has better bagels than anywhere else, and I refuse to accept anything else. I mean, you know I'm from Pennsylvania, so I'm not going to say New Jersey is the best. We have lots of scary stories. We have so many good haunted houses. Hello, Eastern State. What? All right. Well, we have the Jersey Devil. We have abandoned. We have our own share of abandoned. We have Will Asylums. Let's duke it out. <laughs> we'll have to agree to disagree. We're gonna fight in the Fight Club. We have, but we I'm stand six tired. feet apart now. <laughs> I'm very tired. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, yeah, so, so so we just take, what? But we did have a secret Fight Club. I could I not be – any fight club I was in would not be secret because I bruise super fucking easily. So you would know. <laughs> You'd be like, what the fuck are you doing? A fight club? And I'd be like, no. No, we don't speak of this. <laughs> oh. oh, my God. 
I was like talking to somebody today and they were like, I can't tell you, like I asked them something about computers, a, a cool computer project they work on. And they were like, the coolest thing I worked on, I'd have to kill you if I told you. And I was wow. like, cool. Well, I won't ask you about that. I'll ask you about like <laughs> your Pac-Man score and like whatever. I don't know. What is it? Do you know your Pac-Man score? No, but I feel like that's something like, <laughs> I don't know. I just was like, don't worry. I'm not going to, if I'm going to, if I have to be killed, I'm not asking you. That's just saying, just yeah, saying, just saying. That's um, smart. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We're about to read about some people though, who do have lots of problems. Oh no. You earphone. <laughs> I'm muting it. Okay. Now, <laughs> now people can see they're like, they are really friends. <laughs> true <laughs> all right are you ready for the first story I'm I think I'm ready <laughs> okay Did, so will I be killed if you tell me the story no no okay good 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 <laughs> go ahead go ahead all, I'm all ears okay so this is one of the ones I was talking about this is called Candle Cove mm, okay. that sounds fun so, sounds like a Cute, fun place to go for a weekend? Not. It's so not. Oh, no. <laughs> okay. So the this is the Net Nostalgia Forum, so TV for local. So we're in kind of like a chat room, basically. Mm-hmm. Sky Shale 033, subject, Candle Cove local kids show, question mark? Oh. Oh. <laughs> Does anyone remember this kid's show? It was called Candle Cove, and I must have been six or seven. I never found reference to it anywhere, so I think it was on a local station around 1971 or 1972. I lived in Ironton at the time. I don't remember which station, but I do remember it was on at a weird time, like 4 p.m. Hmm. That is a weird time for a kid's show. Suspicious! (laughs) Uh, Mike underscore painter 65, subject. Candle Cove, local kid show. It seems really familiar to me. I grew up outside of Ashland and was nine years old in 72. Candle Cove. Was it about pirates? Sounds like a, that would be a fun pirate show. <laughs> We're going to Candle Cove. <laughs> I that, remember. Was that a, the theme song? <laughs> you always want to write a theme song. I'm, everything should have a theme song. Go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> no. Um, I remember a pirate marionette at the mouth of a cave talking to a little girl that's horrifying i'm already scared i don't like this (laughs) (laughs) so sky shale 033 said yes okay i'm not crazy i remember pirate percy (laughs) thanks i hate it (laughs) i was always kind of scared of him sounds about right he looked like he was built from parts of other dolls real low budget His head was an old porcelain baby doll, looked like an antique that didn't belong on the body. I don't remember what station this was. I don't think it was WTSF, though. Oh. So then Jaren underscore 2005 says, sorry to resurrect this old thread, but I know exactly what show you mean, Sky Shale. I think Candle Cove ran for only a couple months in 71, not 72. Okay. (laughs) <laughs> I was 12 and I watched it a few times with my brother. It was channel 58, whatever station that was. My mom would let me switch to it after the news. Let me see what I remember. 
It took place in Candle Cove, and it was about a little girl who imagined herself to be friends with pirates. <laughs> the pirate ship was called the Laughing Stock. And Pirate Percy wasn't a very good pirate because he got scared too easily. <laughs> and there was Kaleope music constantly playing. Don't remember the girl's name. Janice or Jade or something? I think it was Janice. What is Kaleope? Calliope music. I was going to ask you. <laughs> I was like, is this an Irish thing? Let me hear. Hold on. Let me Google it really quick. Or is it like pirate music? We're drinking. We're pirates. Everyone's drunk. We're pillaging. We're pillaging. That's what we do. Is that it? This is it. Hold on. Calliope. I do not like the Calliope. Make oh, it stop. That sounds oh, like, no. like a bad That's, park. Whew. I feel like a scary clown is going to yes. pop out of my... I don't like it. Okay. Uh, Skyshale033 said, Thank you, Jaren. Memories flooded back when you mentioned the laughing stock and Channel 58. I remember the bow of, bow of the ship was a wooden smiling face with the lower jaw submerged. It looked like it was swallowing the sea, and it had that awful Edwin voice and laugh. I don't know what that means either. I especially remember how jarring it was when they switched from the wooden plastic model to the foam puppet version of the head that talked. Okay, so Mike Painter 65 says, Ha ha, I remember now too. Do you remember this part, Skyshell? You have to go inside. I don't know what that means. Yeah, what does that mean, Mike Painter? <laughs> uh, so Skyshale said, Ugh, Mike, I got a chill reading that. Yes, I remember that. That's what the ship always told Percy when there was a spooky place he had to go in, like a cave or a dark room where the treasure was. And the camera would push in on the laughing stock's face with each pause. You have to go inside. I'm not going inside anywhere. <laughs> I'm going where the light is. I'm going outside. That's where I am. I'm going outside, and as soon as night falls, I'm going inside a brightly lit box that is a room that is safe. Okay. Okay. Just- <laughs> With his two eyes askew and that flopping foam jaw and the fishing line that opened and closed it, it just looked so cheap and awful. You guys remember the villain? He had a face that was just a handlebar mustache above really tall, narrow teeth. <laughs> That's horrifying. Oh, this person's name is Kevin Hart. <laughs> hey, Kevin. I honestly, honestly thought the villain was Pirate Percy. I was about five when the show was on. Nightmare fuel. Jaren2005 said, that wasn't the villain. The puppet with the mustache. That was the villain's sidekick, Horace Horrible. He had a monocle, too, but it was on top of the mustache. I used to think that meant he had only one eye. But, yeah, the villain was another marionette, the skin taker. I can't believe what they let us watch back then. What? The skin taker? Um, So Kevin Hart says, Jesus H. Christ, the skin taker. What kind of a kid show were we watching? I seriously could not look at the screen when the skin taker showed up. He just descended out of nowhere on his strings, just a dirty skeleton wearing that brown top hat and cape. 
And I don't big, like any of this. <laughs> and his big glass eyes that were too big for his skull. Thanks. I hate it. <laughs> you know what? A lot of things. Do you remember the Rocco's Modern Life episode where he was a phone sex operator? Vaguely. Right? Like, I know. It's a crazy. children's show for <laughs> us. That's why we're all sick freaks. <laughs> yep, but I still bought a box of socks from Target because they were all the like classic 90s Nickelodeon shows. Hey, yeah. That's why we're all so weird. Ew, oh my god. Sky Shale says, wasn't his top hat and cloak all sewn up crazily? Was that supposed to be the children's skin? Oh, and Mike Painter said, yeah, I think so. Remember his mouth didn't open and close? His jaw just slid back and forth? I remember the little girl said, why does your mouth move like that? And the skin taker didn't look at the girl, but at the camera and said, to grind your skin. <laughs> what? What serial killer? Can we check? Can we check the backyard or underneath the homes of the people who wrote this show? <laughs> so Sky Shale said, "I'm so relieved that other people remember this terrible show. I used to have this awful memory—a bad dream I had where the opening jingle ended, the show faded in from black, and all the characters were there, but the camera was just cutting to each of their faces, and they were just screaming." And the puppets and marionettes were flailing spastically and all screaming, screaming. The girl was just moaning and crying like she had been through hours of this. I woke up many times from that nightmare. I used to wet the bed when I had it. Oh, God. But then Kevin Hart said, I don't think that was a dream. I remember that. I remember that episode. Whoa. And Sky Shale said, no, 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 not possible. There was no plot or anything. I mean, literally just standing in place crying and screaming for the whole show. Kevin Hart, maybe I'm manufacturing the memory because you said that, but I swear to God, I remember seeing what you described. They just screamed. Jaren, oh God, yes, the little girl Janice. I remember seeing her shake and the skin taker screaming through his gnashing teeth, his jaw careening so wildly. I thought it would come off its wire hinges. I turned it off, and it was the last time I watched. I ran to tell my brother, and we didn't have the courage to turn it back on. Whoa. Uh, Mike Painter said, I visited my mom today at the nursing home. I asked her about when I was little in the early 70s, when I was eight or nine, and if she remembered a kid's show, Candle Cove. She said she was surprised I could remember that, and I asked why, and she said, because I used to think it was so strange that you said, I'm going to go watch Candle Cove now, Mom. And then you would tune the TV to static and just watch dead air for 30 minutes. You had a big imagination with your little pirate show. <laughs> this is like some Freddy Krueger shit where the parents are like, no, no. And the kids are like, no, we all have the same nightmare. That's not normal. <laughs> I was wondering where this was going. And I don't <laughs> like it. I don't like where it went. <laughs> I want a hug. <laughs> and that's the that's the story yep that's it oh wait let me Damn. look so this was by chris straub okay mm. now it's chris your Str turn it's my turn it's my turn okay so i have no end house mm -hmm. no end house the no and the end are together so i don't know if it's no end house or no end house no, it's no end house ah Gosh. <laughs> <laughs> and it's written by Brian Russell, 
And um, I would like to note all of the tags, beings and entities, famous creepypastas, locations and sites, madness, paranoia, mental illness, psychological horror, strange and unexplained, survival horror, suspense and thrillers. So there's a lot packed in. Yeah, there's, that's a lot of tags. <laughs> I appreciate a good tag hashtagger. Uh, me one. too. Let me start by saying, why is this? This is not a funny statement, but let me start by saying that Peter Terry was addicted to heroin. We don't know who Peter. This is a very interesting beginning. Uh, beginning, because we yeah. don't know who Peter Terry is. We don't. Now we know that he's a guy and he's addicted to heroin. We were friends in college and continued to be after I graduated. Why is this writing? I'm sorry. Well, remember, these are users submitted. <laughs> There's no editing here. We were friends in college. And continued oh, God damn it. Notice that I said I. He dropped out after two years of barely cutting it. Yeah, I have no idea what that's like. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I'm Peter Terry, except I wasn't, wasn't addicted to heroin. Yeah. I had plenty of other problems. Anyways, I eventually graduated from college. I just, hold on. Is there someone else there? No. I just heard something and it freaked me out. Yeah. <sighs> now I'm like, if there's someone else there. <laughs> he dropped out after two years of barely cutting it. After I moved out of the dorms and into a small apartment, I didn't see Peter as much. We would talk online every now and then. AIM was king in pre-Facebook years. Damn. There- There was a period when he wasn't online for about five weeks straight. I wasn't worried. He was a pretty notorious flake and drug addict. Oh my God. This is very judgmental. I don't like, maybe, maybe we offer Peter Terry some compassion and some help. All right, whatever. (laughs) Jesus Christ. He was a pretty notorious flake and drug addict. So I assumed he stopped caring. (laughs) Then one night I saw him log on. Before I could initiate a conversation, he sent me a message. David, man, we need to talk. That was when he told me about the no end house. No end house. (laughs) No end house. Because there's no end. (laughs) It got that name because no one had ever reached the final exit. The rules were pretty simple and cliche. Reach the final room of the building and you win $500. That's it? I'm not risking my life for $500. <laughs> all right. There were nine rooms in all. The house was located outside the city. So I really, for me personally, if the uh, the rules that everybody knows already that you, no one has ever reached the end, I need the stakes to be a little higher than $500. So I, I was thinking, because like there are haunted houses, like I know there are some, I think in Jersey, where it's like, it's so scary that like if you get out, you get your money back, but there's an exit in every room. So it's like, you might not make it to the end, but you don't just like get stuck in there. Yeah. But, but that I'll- might not be the case. I'll never go into any of those places. All right. Life. Real I mean, life I is, haven't either. <laughs> real life is scary enough for some of us. Okay. The house, there were nine rooms in all. The house was located outside the city, roughly four miles from my house. <laughs> cool. <laughs> Thanks for that info. Apparently, Peter had tried and failed. He <laughs> 
this writing kills me. He was a heroin and who knows what the fuck else addict. So I figured the drugs got the so far, so the point this. of this story is just that he is shaming his friend who is addicted to drugs. Like, nothing yeah, has happened yet. I don't offer him some help, help him get to rehab. So I figured the drugs got the best of him, and he wigged out at a paper ghost or something. Oh, my God. He told, me, he told me it would be too much for anyone, that it was unnatural. <laughs> you know, sometimes I doubt myself as a writer. And then I read other things, and then I'm like, you know what? I'm great. Yeah, because this this is one of the ones that has a whole TV season. You know what? I've, <laughs> I've made hard I've, – I've done it all wrong. Okay. I didn't believe him. I told him I would check it out the next night, and no matter how hard he tried to convince me otherwise, $500 <laughs> sounded too good to be true. <laughs> I had to go. I set out the following night. When I arrived, I immediately noticed something strange about the building. Have you ever seen or read something that shouldn't be scary, but for some reason a chill crawls up your spine? I walked towards the building, and the feeling of uneasiness only intensified as I opened the front door. My heart slowed, and I let a relieved sigh leave me as I entered. <sighs> the room looked like a normal hotel lobby decorated for Halloween. <laughs> okay. A sign was posted in place of a worker. It read, room one this way, eight more to follow. Reach the end and you win. I chuckled and made my way to the first door. The fact that the there's f- no one working there, like, no thanks, bye. Yeah, no. If there's not a t-shirt for sale, I don't want to be there. Yeah, same. The first area was almost laughable. The decor resembled the Halloween aisle of a Kmart, complete with sheet ghosts. (laughs) Sheet ghosts. And animatronic zombies that gave a static growl when you passed by. At the far end was an exit. It was the only door besides the one I entered through. I brushed through the fake spider webs and headed for the second room. I was greeted by fog as I opened the door to room two. This, the room, definitely upped the ante in terms of technology. Not only was there a fog machine, but a bat hung from the ceiling and flew in a circle. (laughs) Scary. They seemed to have a Halloween soundtrack that one would find in a 99 cent store on loop somewhere this in the room. This guy is like really bougie. He is just, yeah, like, everything is cheap to him. He's so judgmental. I didn't see a stereo, but I guess they must have used a PA system. I, <laughs> this, these are extraneous details that do not belong in a story. I didn't, I'm not the writer here, but whatever. I stepped over a few toy rats that wheeled around and walked with a puffed chest across to the next area. What a man walking with a puffed chest. Oh, I thought the rats were walking with a puffed chest. <laughs> <laughs> just, just some tough guy rats, you know? That's what I was picturing. <laughs> I was picturing the rats from Princess Bride. <laughs> I reached for the doorknob and my heart sank to my knees. That is not the proper saying it saying um i did not want to open that door a feeling of dread 
hit me so hard I could barely even think. Logic overtook me after a few terrifying moments, and I shook it off and entered the next room. Brave. Room three is when things began to change. Mm. On the surface, it looked like a normal room. There was a chair in the middle of the wood-paneled floor, a single lamp in the corner that did a poor job of lighting. Oh, my God. Like, why is he criticizing fucking literally everything? (laughs) That did a poor job of lighting the area, casting a few shadows across the floor and walls. That was the problem. Shadows. Plural. With with the exception of the chairs, there were others. I had barely walked in the door, and I was already terrified. It was at that moment that I knew something wasn't right. I didn't even think as I automatically tried to open the door I came through. It was locked from the other side. That set me off. Was someone locking the doors as I progressed? There was no way. I would have heard them. (laughs) Was it a mechanical lock that set automatically? Maybe, but I was too scared to really think. I turned back to the room, and the shadows were gone. The chair's shadow remained, but the others were gone. I slowly began to walk. I used to hallucinate. <laughs> used to hallucinate when I was a kid. What? <laughs> it's raining. Oh my god! I'm gonna throw this story out the window. Um, <laughs> I how used about, to hallucinate when I was a how kid. About, so I, how about as you continue reading, if you come across <laughs> a sentence that is just stupid and unnecessary, just don't read it. <laughs> I can't because it makes me laugh. I used to hallucinate when I was a kid. So I wrote off the shadows as a figment of my imagination. Jesus. I began to feel better as I made it to halfway point in the room. I looked down as I took my steps and that's when I saw it. Or didn't see it. My shadow wasn't there. I didn't have time to scream. I ran as fast as I could to the other door and flung myself without thinking into the room beyond. Yeah, but isn't that one going to be scarier? Yeah, right? (laughs) I'm like, I don't know. I mean, I guess there's no way except forward if you're locked in there. Mm -hmm. The fourth room was possibly the most disturbing. As I closed the door... All light seemed to be sucked out and put back into the previous room. I stood there, surrounded by darkness, not able to move. I'm not afraid of the dark and never have been, but I'm absolutely terrified. This is a man writing this. I'm not afraid of the dark and I never have been, but I was terrified in this moment. (laughs) Um, All sight had left me. I held my hand in front of my face. And if I didn't know what I was doing, I would never have been able to tell. Darkness doesn't describe it. I couldn't hear anything. It was dead silence. When you're in a soundproof room, you can hear yourself breathing. You can hear yourself being alive. I couldn't. I began to stumble forward after a few moments. My rapidly beating heart, the only thing I could feel. There was no door in sight. Wasn't even sure that there was one this time. The silence was then broken by a low hum. I felt something behind me. I spun around wildly but could barely even see my nose. I knew it was there, though. 
Regardless of how dark it was, I knew something was there. The hum grew louder, closer. It seemed to surround me, but I knew whatever was causing the noise was in front of me, inching closer. I took a step back. I never felt that kind of fear. I can't even really describe true fear. I wasn't even scared I was going to die. I was scared of what the alternative was. (laughs) I was afraid of what this thing had in store for me. Then the lights flashed for a second and I saw it. Nothing. I saw nothing. And I know I saw nothing there. The room was again plunged into darkness and the hum became a wild screech. I screamed in protest. I couldn't hear this goddamn sound for another minute. I ran backwards away from the noise and fumbled for the door handle. I turned and fell into room five. Before I describe room five, you have to understand something. Oh, God. (laughs) This man has a TV show. Before I describe room five, you have to understand something. I am not a drug addict. Oh, my God. We get it. (laughs) I have had no history of drug abuse or any sort of psychosis short short of the child. (laughs) Oh, right. Just just those. No big deal. (laughs) Short of the child hallucinations I mentioned earlier. And those were only when I was really tired from just waking up. I entered the no-end house with a clear head. After falling in from the previous room, my view of room five was from my back, looking up at the ceiling. What I saw didn't scare me. It simply surprised me. (laughs) Trees had grown into the room and towered above my head. The ceilings in this room were taller than the others, which made me think I was in the center of the house. I got up off the floor, dusted myself off, and took a look around. It was definitely the biggest room of all. I couldn't even see the door from where I was. Various brush and trees must have blocked my line of sight with the exit. He can never see the door. This isn't a new thing about this room. He's had trouble seeing the door in the past three rooms. Okay, up to this point, I figured the rooms were going to get scarier. But this was a paradise compared to the last room. I also assume whatever in was it room four stayed back there i was incredibly wrong (laughs) as i made my way deeper into the room i began to hear what one would hear if they were in a forest chirping bugs and the occasional flap of birds seemed to be my only company in this room that was the thing that bothered me the most i heard the bugs and the other animals but i didn't see any of them I thought this place had a PA system or something, right? (laughs) Okay. I heard the bugs and other animals, but I didn't see any of them. I began to wonder how big this house was. From the outside, when I first walked up to it, it looked like a regular house. It was definitely on the bigger side, but this was almost a full forest in here. The canopy covered my view of the ceiling, but I assumed it was still there, however high it was. I couldn't see any walls either. The only way I knew I was still inside was that the floor matched the other rooms, the standard dark wood paneling. Hmm. I kept walking, hoping that the next tree I passed would reveal the door. After a few moments of walking, I felt a mosquito fly onto my arm. I shook it off and kept going. 
A second later, I felt about 10 more land on my skin at different places. I felt them crawl up and down my arms and legs, and a few made their way across my face. I flailed wildly to get them all off, but they just kept crawling. I looked down and let out a muffled scream, more of a whimper. To be honest, I didn't see a single bug. Not one bug was on me, but I could feel them crawl. I heard them whenever I see or hear anyone talk about spiders. Hmm. Don't do it. I heard them fly by my face and sting my skin, but I couldn't see a single one. We get it, dude. You couldn't (laughs) see them. I dropped to the ground and began to roll wildly. Wow. I was desperate. I hated bugs, especially ones I couldn't see or touch. (laughs) But these bugs could touch me, and they were everywhere. I began to crawl. I had no idea where I was going. The entrance was nowhere in sight. And I still hadn't even seen the exit. So I just crawled, my skin wriggling with the presence of those phantom bugs. After what seemed like hours, I found the door. I grabbed the nearest tree and propped myself up, mindlessly slapping my arms and legs to no avail. I tried to run, but I couldn't. My body was exhausted from crawling and dealing with whatever it was on me. I took a few shaky steps to the door, grabbing each tree on the way for support. It was only a few feet away when I heard it, the low hum from before. Mm. It was coming from the next room, and it was deeper. Mm. (laughs) I could almost feel it inside my body, like when you stand next to an amp at a concert. The feeling of the bugs on me lessened as the hum grew louder. As I placed my hand on the doorknob, the bugs were completely gone, but I couldn't bring myself to turn the knob. I knew if I let go, the bugs would return, and there was no way I would make it back to room four. I just stood there, my head pressed against the door marked six, and my hand shakily grasping the knob. The hum was so loud, I couldn't even hear myself pretend to think. There was nothing I could do but move on. Room six was next. And room six was hell. <laughs> I closed the door behind me, my eyes shut and my ears ringing. The hum was surrounding me. As the door clicked into place, the hum was gone. I opened my eyes in surprise and the door I had shut was gone. It was just a wall now. I looked around in shock. The room was identical to room three. The same chair and lamp with the correct amount of shadows this time. Oh my god. Um, give this man a Pulitzer. <laughs> the only difference was that there was no exit door and the one I came through was gone. As I said before, I had no <laughs> Jesus Christ. I'm sorry. I didn't reread it. <laughs> no, this is hilarious. Thank you. As I said before, I had no previous issues in terms of mental instability. But at that moment, I fell into what I now know was insanity. I didn't scream. I didn't make a sound. This is such a, this reminds me of some of the guys I've met in Brooklyn. As I have said before, I had no previous issues in terms of (laughs) mental instability. But at that moment, I fell into what? I now know is insanity. (laughs) At first, I scratched softly, 
The wall was tough, but I knew there the door was there somewhere. I just knew it was. I scratched at where the doorknob was. I clawed at the wall frantically with both my hands, my nails being filed down to the skin against the wood. I fell silently to my knees. The only sound in the room, the incessant scratching against the wall. I knew it was there. If only I could just get past this wall. Are you all right? I jumped off the ground and spun in one motion. I leaned against the wall behind me and I saw what it was that spoke to me. To this day, I regret ever turning around. There was a little girl. Ah! I think little girl. (laughs) Whenever there was a little girl, she was wearing a soft white dress that went down to her ankles. You know it's a fucking ghost. (laughs) She had long blonde hair to the middle of her back and white skin and blue eyes. It was me. She was the most frightening thing I had ever seen. (laughs) Exactly. Same. And I know that nothing in my life will ever be as unnerving as what I saw in her. Many of my exes would agree. While looking at her, I saw something else. Where she stood, I saw what looked like a man's body, only larger than normal and covered in hair. What? What? He was naked from head to toe. But his head was not human, and his toes were hooves. It wasn't the devil, but at that point, it might as well have been. The form had the head of a ram and the snout of a wolf. What? It was horrifying. Yes. (laughs) And it was synonymous with the little girl in front of me. What? Not a good use of synonymous. Anyways, they were the same form. I can't really describe it. Yes, you can. You're writing a story. Please describe (laughs) it. I can't really describe it, but I saw them at the same time. They shared the same spot in that room, but it was like looking at two separate dimensions. When I saw the girl, I saw the form. And when I saw the form, I saw the girl. This is totally some bro in Brooklyn. When I saw the girl. You You just keep saying the same thing over and over again, dude. When I saw the girl, I saw the form. And when I saw the form, I saw the girl. I couldn't speak. I could barely even see. My mind was revolting against what it was attempting to process. I had been scared before in my life, and I had never been more scared than when I was trapped in the fourth room. But that was before room six. Yeah, that's how that worked. (laughs) I just stood there staring at whatever it was that spoke to me. There was no exit. I was trapped here with it. And then it spoke again. Excuse me, she spoke again. (laughs) David, you should have listened. When it spoke, I heard the words of the little girl. But the other form spoke through my mind in a voice I won't attempt to describe. There was no other sound. The voice just kept repeating that sentence over and over in my mind. And I agreed. I didn't know what to do. I was slipping into madness. Yet I couldn't take my eyes off what was in front of me. I dropped to the floor. I thought I had passed out. But the room wouldn't let me. I just wanted it to end. I was on my side. My eyes wide open and the form staring down at me. Scurrying across the floor in front of me was one of the battery-powered rats from the second room. (laughs) How did it get there? The house was toying with me, but for some reason, seeing that rat pulled my mind back from whatever depths it was headed. And I looked around the room. I was getting out of there. I was determined to get out of the house and live and never think about this place again. 
I knew this room was hell, and I wasn't ready to take up a residency. That's right, sir. Oh, my God. At first, it was just my eyes that moved. I searched the walls for any kind of opening. The room wasn't that big, so it didn't take long to soak up the entire layout. What is the The point? Why do we need to hear that? (laughs) The demon still taunted me, the voice growing louder as the form stayed rooted where it stood. I placed my hand on the floor, lifted myself up to all four, all fours, put the S in there, okay, and turned to scan the wall behind me. Then I saw something I couldn't believe. The form was now right at my back, whispering into my mind how I shouldn't have come. I felt its breath on the back of my neck. (sighs) But I refused to turn around. A large rectangle was scratched into the wood with a small dent chipped away at the center of it. Right in front of my eyes, I saw the large seven I had mindlessly etched into the wall. I knew what it was. Room seven. (laughs) Just beyond that wall, where room five was moments ago. I don't know how I'd done it. Maybe it was just my state of mind at the time, but I had created the door. I knew I had. In my madness, I had scratched into the wall what I needed the most, an exit to the next room. Room seven was close. I knew the demon was right behind me, but for some reason it couldn't touch me. I closed my eyes and placed both hands on the large seven in front of me. I pushed. I pushed as hard as I could. The demon was now screaming in my ear. It told me I was never leaving. It told me that this was the end, but I wasn't going to die. I was going to live there in room six with it. I wasn't. I pushed and screamed at the top of my lungs. I knew I was going to push through the wall eventually. I clenched my eyes shut and screamed, and the demon was gone. I was left in silence. I turned around slowly and was greeted by the room as it was when I entered. Just a chair and a lamp. I couldn't believe it. But I didn't have time to, well. I turned back to the seven and jumped back slightly. What I saw was a door. It wasn't the one I had scratched in, but a regular door with a large seven on it. My whole body was shaking. It took me a while to turn the knob. I just stood there for a while staring at the door. I couldn't stay in room six. I couldn't. But if this was the only room six, I couldn't imagine what seven had in store. I must have stood there for an hour, just staring at seven. Finally, with a deep breath, I twisted the knob and opened the door to room seven. I stumbled through the door, mentally exhausted and physically weak. The door behind me closed, and I realized where I was. I was outside. Not outside like room five, but actually outside. My eyes stung. I wanted to cry. I fell to my knees and tried, but I couldn't. I was finally out of that hell. I didn't even care about the prize that was promised. I turned and saw that the door I just went through was the entrance. I walked to my car and drove home thinking of how nice a shower sounded. But wait, aren't there nine rooms? Yep. Mm, How's this going to (laughs) end? Not well, I don't think. As I pulled up to my house, I felt uneasy. The joy of leaving no end house had faded and dread was slowly building in my stomach. I shook it off as residual from the house and made my way to the front door. I entered and immediately went up to my room. There on my bed was my cat, Baskerville. Somebody was a fan of Sherlock Holmes. <laughs> uh, he was the first living thing I had seen all night, and I reached to pet him. 
He hissed and swiped at my hand. I recoiled in shock as I as he had never acted like that. I thought, whatever, he's an old cat. <laughs> I Fair jumped enough. in the sh- I jumped in the shower and got ready for what I was expecting to be a sleepless night. After my shower, I went to the kitchen to make something to eat. I descended the stairs and turned into the family room. What I saw would be forever burned into my mind, however. My parents were lying on the ground, naked and covered in blood. Ooh. What? They were mutilated to near unidentifiable states. Oof. Their limbs were removed and placed next to their bodies, and their heads were placed on their chest facing me. The most unsettling part was their expressions. My God. They were smiling as though they were happy to see me. I vomited and sobbed at the time. I was a mess. Then I saw it. A door that was never there before. A door with a large eight scrawled mm-hmm. on it in blood. I was still in the house. I was standing in my family room, but I was in room seven. The faces of my parents smiled wider as I realized this. <gasps> they weren't my parents. They couldn't be, but they looked exactly like them. The door marked eight was across the room behind the mutilated bodies in front of me. I knew I had to move on, but at that moment I gave up. The smiling faces tore into my mind. They grounded me where I stood. I vomited again and nearly collapsed. Then the hum returned. Mm, It was louder than ever, and it filled the house and shook the walls. The hum compelled me to walk. I began to walk slowly, making my way closer to the door and the bodies. I could barely stand, let alone walk. And the closer I got to my parents, the closer I came to suicide. The walls were now shaking so hard it seemed as though they were going to crumble. But still the smile, the faces smiled at me. As I inched closer, their eyes followed me. I was now between the two bodies, a few feet away from the door. The dismembered hands clawed their way across the carpet towards me, all while the faces continued to stare. New terror washed over me, and I walked faster. I didn't want to hear them speak. I didn't want the voices to match those of my parents. They began to open their mouths, and the hands were inches from my feet. In a death of desperation, I lunged toward the door, threw it open, and slammed it behind me. Room 8. I was done. After what I had just experienced, I knew there wasn't anything else this fucking house could throw at me that I couldn't live through. There was nothing short of the fires of hell that I wasn't ready for. Unfortunately, I underestimated the abilities of no-end house. Unfortunately, things got more disturbing. You just used unfortunately in the last sentence. I was just thinking that. Mm -hmm. You can't do it. I I mean, you could do whatever you want. You got a TV show, dude. Who am I? Well, it's not like he has a TV show, but the the TV series, each season is based on a creepypasta. Ah, okay. I feel better now. (laughs) Unfortunately, things got more disturbing. More terrifying and more unspeakable in room eight. I still have trouble believing what I saw in room eight. You have trouble believing all of this. <laughs> We've, again, the room was a carbon copy of rooms three and six, but sitting in the usually empty chair was a man. After a few seconds of disbelief, you are very, you're having lots of trouble believing. And my mind finally accepted the fact that the man was sitting in the chair was me. Ooh. Not someone who looked like me. It was David Williams. I walked closer. I had to get a better look, even though I was sure of it. He looked up with me, and I noticed tears in his eyes. Please, please don't do it. Please don't hurt me. 
what? I asked, who are you? I'm not going to hurt you. What? Who are you? I'm not going to hurt you. Yes, you are. He was sobbing now. You're going to hurt me and I don't want you to. He sat in the chair with his legs up and began rocking back and forth. It was actually pretty pathetic looking, especially (laughs) since he was me, identical in every way. Listen, who are you? I was now only a few feet from my doppelganger. It was the weirdest experience yet. Standing there, talking to myself. I wasn't scared, but I would be soon. Why are you? You're going to hurt me. You're going to hurt me. If you if you want to leave, you're going to hurt me. Why are you saying this? Just calm down, all right? Let's try and figure this. And then I saw it. The David sitting down was wearing the same clothes as me, except for a small red patch on his shirt embroidered with the number nine. Ooh. You're going to hurt me. You're going to hurt me. Please don't. You're going to hurt me. My eyes didn't leave that small number on his chest. I knew exactly what it was. The first few doors were plain and simple, but after a while, they got more ambiguous. Seven was scratched into the wall, but by my own hands. Eight was marked in the blood above the bodies of my parents, but nine? This number was on a person. A living person. Worse still, it was on a person that looked exactly like me. David? I had to ask, yes, you're going to hurt me. You're going to hurt me. He continued to sob and rock. He answered to David. He was me, right down to the voice. But that nine, I paced around for a few minutes while I sobbed in his chair, while he sobbed in his chair. The room had no door, and similar to room six, the door I came through was gone. For some reason, I assumed that scratching would get me nowhere this time. I studied the walls and floor around the chair, sticking my head underneath and seeing if anything was below. Unfortunately, there was. Below the chair was a knife. Mm. Attached was a tag that read, To David, from management. (laughs) The feeling in my stomach as I read the tag was something sinister. I wanted to throw up, and the last thing I wanted to do was remove that knife from under that chair. The other David was still sobbing uncontrollably. My mind was spinning into an attic of unanswerable questions. Who put this here? And how did they get my name? Not to mention the fact that as I knelt on the cold wood floor, I also sat in that chair, sobbing in protest of being hurt by myself. It was all too much to process. The house and the management had been playing with me this whole time. My thoughts for some reason turned to Peter. And whether or not he got this far... If he did, he met a Peter Terry sobbing in this very chair, rocking back and forth. I shook those thoughts out of my head. They didn't matter. I took the knife from under the chair, and immediately the other David went quiet. David, he said in my voice, what do you think you're going to do? I lifted myself from the ground and clenched the knife in my hand. I am going to get out of here. David was still sitting in the chair, though he was very calm now. He looked up with me with a slight grin. I couldn't tell if he was going to laugh at me or strangle me. Slowly, he got up from the chair and stood facing me. It was uncanny. His height and even the way he stood matched mine. We get it. He's your doppelganger. Yeah. Yeah. I felt the rubber hilt of the knife in my hand and gripped it tighter. I don't know what I was planning on doing with it, but I had a feeling I was going to need it. Now, his voice was slightly deeper than my own. I'm going to hurt you. I'm going to hurt you, and I'm going to keep you here. I didn't respond. I just lunged and tackled him to the ground. I mounted him and looked down, knife poised and ready. He looked up at me, terrified. 
It was like I was looking in a mirror. Yeah, dude, we know. It's your doppelganger. Then the hum returned, low and distant, though I still felt it deep in my body. David looked up at me as I looked down at myself. The hum was getting louder, and I felt something inside me snap. With one motion, I slammed the knife into a patch, into the patch on his chest and ripped down. Blackness fell in the room, and I was falling. The darkness around me was like nothing I had experienced up to, up to this point. Yes, nothing you would have experienced before would have happened up to this point, dude. Room four was dark. But it didn't come close to what was completely engulfing me. I wasn't even sure if I was falling after a while. I felt weightless, covered in dark. Then a deep sadness came over me. I felt lost, depressed, and suicidal. The sight of my parents entered my mind. I knew it wasn't real, but I had seen it, and the mind has trouble differentiating between what is real and what isn't. The sadness only deepened. I was in room nine for what seemed like days, the final room. And that's exactly what it was, the end. No end house had an end, and I had reached it. At that moment, I gave up. I knew I would be in that in-between state forever, accompanied by nothing but darkness. Not even the hum was there to keep me sane. I had lost all my senses. I couldn't feel myself. I couldn't hear anything. Sight was completely useless here. I searched for a taste in my mouth and found nothing. I felt disembodied and completely lost. I knew where I was. This was hell. Room nine was hell. Then it happened. A light. One of those stereotypical lights at the end of the tunnel. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) I felt ground come up from below me and I was standing. After a moment of two of gathering my thoughts and senses, I slowly walked towards that light. As I approached the light, it took form. It was a vertical slit down the side of an unmarked door. I walked through the door and found myself back where I started, the lobby of No End House. It was exactly how I left it, still empty, still decorated with childish Halloween decorations. After everything that happened that night, I was still wary of where I was. After a few moments of normalcy, I looked around the place trying to find anything different. On the desk was a plain white envelope with my name handwritten on it, immensely curious yet still cautious, I mustered up the courage to open the envelope. Inside was a letter, again handwritten, David Williams. Congratulations, you have made it to the end of No End House. Please accept this prize as a token of great achievement. Yours forever, management. (laughs) With the letter, there were five $100 bills. I couldn't stop laughing. I laughed for what seemed like hours. I laughed as I walked out to my car and laughed as I drove home. I laughed as I pulled into the driveway. I laughed as I opened my front door to my house and laughed as I saw the small 10 entries in the wood. (laughs) There is no end. No end. There is no end. No, $500 is not worth it. No, definitely not. If someone Um, I hadn't spoken to in five years who kind of creeped me out for some reason just messaged me and said, go to this house. No one ever makes it out, but you get five hundred dollars if you make it. I'd be like, um, no, that's I think like, I'm, that's I'm like gonna... one of those girls from like high school who messages you and is like, buy Arbon. Is like, hey, go to this house where you might die. Yeah, no, I'm not getting involved in your. It's a pyramid scheme. Yep, it never ends. <laughs> I mean, it's I mean, it's marketed appropriately. Yeah, no end house doesn't end. It's very fair. Wow, he's never. 
leaving, forever trapped. Yep. Sorry, that one was so long. That was really long. Okay, so this is the part of the episode where randomly the other voice changes, and that is because I started recording this episode with Sloan, but I did not feel well, so I had to stop, and then now our schedules are a mess. So, it is a familiar voice, though, because Comfort has been on this show before, so I'm just going to read her some scary stories. Hi, crumbs. <laughs> we are also high. I bought the infused banana split pre-rolls from Stone, Stone Road? Stone. Yeah, Stone Road. Man, they knock you out. Yeah, this is intense. They're very strong. The non-infused ones are also very strong. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Push forward. Okay, so this is called The Gin. The video call connected and my boyfriend smiled. First, I love you and I miss you and I can't wait until you get home. I love you too and I can't wait either. I peered at the computer screen. Where are you? I'm in the attic, Brody replied. When I put my archery equipment up here, I found something cool. He'd just purchased an old house in Houston in a quiet neighborhood that I hoped would someday be our neighborhood. We dated for three years now and I thought he might propose after my college graduation this spring. Check this out. He pulled a dusty chest under under the dangling light bulb so I could see the inscriptions. It looked Arabic. He opened it and pulled out a triangular-shaped amulet made of silver. It had the same markings. Amulet. You don't hear... You don't read that often. No. Some ancient stuff. (laughs) Next, a tiny sliding box that contained bits of paper and wood and some unidentifiable chunks. Okay. Smells like jasmine? He said, sniffing it. The next item was a drawstring bag. He opened it and poured the contents in his palm. Ugh, toenail clippings? What the hell? (laughs) (laughs) The last two things in the chest were a tattered copy of the Quran. Quran? Quran? Quran. And a box of glass balls. Ornaments? No, there's no place to put a hook or string. There are three clear ones and this one. He held it up for inspection. It was nicotine yellow. That is a choice. I swear the ball lurched in his palm. It crashed to the floor and shattered. Something flashed like fire. Brody cursed. What was that? I cried. I don't know, he said, staring at something out of my line of sight. He cocked his head listening. Brody, he said. Then... Donette. What? Donette was his mother's name. Brody then looked blankly at the screen and said, I have to go. Without another word, he ended the Skype call. I tried to call him back and he didn't answer. He didn't answer that night. Finally, the next morning, he did. I'm a little busy right now, he said, his voice heavy. Are you okay? Yeah, he said and ended the call. Bye. I heard nothing from him the next day, so I called his sister and asked her to check on him. She called back an hour later. Her voice was guarded when she said, Yeah, Aaliyah, I saw him. He looked a little rough. Look, have you guys been fighting? What? No. He just looked at me when I told him you were worried. He was fine yesterday. We were making plans for Christmas break. Another hesitation. He almost acted stoned. I've never known Brody to... He doesn't. Ever. Whoops. (laughs) 
<laughs> just give him a day or two. Maybe he really is just busy with something. I'll let you know if I hear from him. But she didn't. I didn't either. He ignored my calls and texts. This was so unlike Brody. My stomach was in knots and I don't know how I made it through finals. I thought about the strange things he'd found. It had to be connected. My grandmother was originally from Bangladesh and a Muslim. My father didn't practice any religion, but I'd taken a class on Islamic traditions last semester. I loved the professor and dropped by her office the morning before my flight home. Aliyah, what a nice surprise. Her smile faded when I told her about Brody's spine and that strange video call. She went to the shelf and picked up a book. Thumbing through the pages, she stopped and handed it to me. Did the markings and amulet look like this? Yes, what is this? We didn't discuss it much in class, but the Quran holds that there are three sapient creations of Allah, angels, humans, and jinn. The objects you describe were used by magicians to control and use jinns to do their bidding. Sometimes they trap these creatures in glass balls. A jinn, I laughed. You mean a genie? The things you described are evil magic. You said he repeated his mother's name. The legend is a magician needs three things from you to discuss you with their demons. A name, your mother's name, and a trace. Hair, nail clippings. You don't really believe in genies. She looked at me for a long moment and then said, I'm sending you an email with passages to read to ward off jinn possession. When you see Brody, why don't you just try it? And Aaliyah, be careful. I laughed off her warning, but my heart felt heavy when I knocked on Brody's door that afternoon. He opened on the third knock. His appearance shocked me. He looked tired, unshaven. He stared at me as if I were a stranger. Brody, what's going on? Something flitted in the hallway behind him like the aftermath of a camera flash. I swear for an instant I saw a woman made of flames. He glanced behind him, then back at me. You should go. He shut the door in my face. I waited till nightfall and took the hidden key to let myself inside. The house was quiet as I crept through it, searching for him. When I peeked into his bedroom, I gasped. Brody lay prone on his bed, staring at the ceiling. The flame woman sat on top of him. Her head whipped around when she heard me, and she hissed, revealing a pair of inch-long fangs. I ran. Through the house, doors sounded like gunshots as they slammed. The front door wouldn't open. I screamed and jerked on it. She was coming. The attic ladder was down, so I lunged up the steps. I dug out my cell phone, trying frantically to open the email from my professor. Through the opening, Brody and the flame woman stared up at me. The door swung shut. I've been here for hours. I screamed the passage my instructor sent until both my voice and my cell battery died. Now I smell smoke. <laughs> I'm trying. <laughs> okay. I'm real dumb focus. Okay, that was the end, though. Wow. <laughs> I blame it on the stone. I blame it on it. Oh, I was doing so well, and then... I mean... What the heck? What the hell? I'm, I can't even stay up past 10, man. This is sad. I used to have a life. Thanks, quarantine. All right. You want to keep going? Yeah, let's keep going. Okay. I said I was going to do this and I'm doing it. All right. Okay, this is called Lazy Saturday Night. <laughs> what is that? <laughs> okay. Here I lay, all snuggled up in bed, warm and satisfied under the soft silk covers, watching some stupid documentary on TV I'd never heard of. 
I'd turn it over, but the gallon tub of cookie dough ice cream wouldn't let me use my hands for anything other than shoveling the frozen treat into my mouth. Nights like these are rare. It isn't often that everyone's out of the house but me, so I make sure to savor them. In fact, I wasn't expecting anyone back till morning. That's what made the sound of the door opening downstairs so alarming. Panic hits me like a steam train. I silently leap out from under the covers, spilling the ice cream all over the pristine white carpet on the floor and creak open the wardrobe next to the bed. I hear footsteps, heavy and indiscreet, like they want me to know they're here. I pant, yeah. (laughs) I pant and pick up the spoon I had just been using to enjoy a relaxing night. The footsteps get louder. I force myself into the minuscule space remaining in the wardrobe and close the door just as the stranger opens the bedroom door, not sparing any seconds for silence. I peer through the gap. His face looks familiar, but I can't place my finger on where I know him from. He spots the spilled ice cream and darts his head across the wide expanse of the bedroom. Hello? He calls, not sounding vicious, but I've made that mistake before. Never, under any circumstances, assume friendliness from a voice. Noted. (laughs) (laughs) He looks under the bed. Oh, crap. He's looking for someone. I hold back a whimper and start bending the bowl of the spoon back and forth, hoping to snap it off and create some way of defending myself. It snaps, but it creates a metallic click. The man turns his head around and makes his way to the wardrobe. I'm shaking now. Please don't open it. Please don't open it. Please don't open it. The door swings open and he sees me. We scream simultaneously in fear and surprised without hesitation. I leap onto the man and start digging into whatever stretch of flesh I can with the sharp edge of the spoon handle. He screeches in clear pain, but I won't stop. I hammer the handle deep into his chest and neck over and over till he becomes motionless. I've killed him. I cry in disgust and sprint downstairs and away from the house. I charge down the road until I feel like I'm far enough away. I sit down for a moment and exhale heavily before regaining my composure. Pulling out my phone, I open Twitter and search hashtag party. Hopefully this time I'll find a household that isn't lying when they say they'll be out all night. Wow. That's just pure. (laughs) That's just insane. (laughs) Twist. Ooh, I think this is an Irish one. This is called The Banshee. This is not a fictional story. This is an account of what happened to me when I was young. It was a normal day in Count Kerry in Ireland. Well, what the rest of you would consider to be normal. The likes of you reading this will probably have a job of some vague description or be in some form of education. Okay. Not me. I'm a free spirit. I do not, or did not when it happened, attend school. I left early because, well, because school just wasn't for me. Let's leave it at that. This person has issues. Yeah, severely. (laughs) (laughs) I was more of a hands-on kind of person. I'm not saying I'm stupid because I'm not. It's just I had a different sort of intelligence. Okay, this this is where you can tell it was, like, submitted by, like, (laughs) 14-year-olds. Um. Growing up in Ireland, of course, I heard my fair share of folk tales told to me by my dearest mother, God rest her soul. Tales warning me not to disobey my parents or else the tall man will get me. That's not what this is about. I grew up listening intently to these folk tales because that's what they were meant to be. 
to me back then, tales and fables, just stories. I'm not sure if you readers are aware of one of Ireland's most famous folk tales, a creature known only as the Banshee. I'm 17 now, but when it happened, I was around the age of 12. It was a normal day for me and my little sister, who shall remain nameless out of respect. What? We were playing out in the fields one late afternoon. The winds of Ireland swept across the barley, created waves across the land, which rippled in very... Like, come on. What is this? Okay, this is more description of the Bailey? Barley? (laughs) Um, As usual, me and my sister were playing hide-and-seek in the fields, and me being the older brother, I tended to opt for the seeker just so I could see her smile when she laughed as I found her. On the verge of the field were the woods. Even when the sun cast celestial vibrancy upon the woods. Like, are you kidding me with that description? So as they were playing hide and seek, they saw something on, like, across the way. It looked like a black bag floating. And then he was like, yeah, I probably just fell off a tractor, whatever. He started to hear, like, a faint sort of wailing in the distance. Yeah, and he made a cup over his ears, and the the wailing emerged with the whistling of the wind coming through the woods, almost like the sound of a kettle boiling. I crouched there listening for maybe 30, 40 seconds. My sister jumped up from hiding and ran to a different location, which made me jump out of my skin. That bag blew nearer to me and was now in my sight, just floating there. I began to get creeped out. It seemed like it was following me. I shouted to my sister that the game was over and we were heading back inside. My gaze was fixed upon this black bag, which seemed so ominous. My sister appeared at my side. She looked up at me and I down to her. She knew that look. I wasn't joking around. I told her to go back to the house, which was just over the wall and a hundred yards down the road. She obeyed as she knew that tone I gave her. I made sure she got over the wall safely, and then I turned to where the bag was, or at least where it used to be. It seemed to move across the field in a zigzag pattern, towards me. I froze with shock as I didn't know what to do, and all I could do was watch this bag come closer and closer. The wailing became louder and louder, like the sound of shell shock. What is, what is that? After what seemed like an eternity, the bag was in range of being able to distinguish what it was. It wasn't a bag. It was some sort of black robe. Like the Witch King from Lord of the Rings? I don't know. Tattered and torn, the bottom of it stained. I stood there, mouth open in terror. I watched this thing come towards me. The wailing became louder and my heart began to pound, trying to escape my chest. All I could do was watch this thing come closer and closer. The bundle of rags stopped several meters in front of me and the wailing stopped. All I could hear now was my heartbeat in my ears like some ancient primal drums of war thumping away. The bundle of rags rose from the ground and emitted a blood-curdling shriek, a piercing scream which deafened me, bre- deafened me briefly. I held my ears and felt the blood trickle out of them. A hooded entity filled the robes. It stood tall and thin, long white hair flowing out of the hood. It then turned to me and looked right into my soul. I felt this sharp pain in my chest. I clutched my chest in agony and writhed on the ground. It let out the same deafening scream, and I noticed through fighting back tears that it was a woman. Pale and hollow, she looked. It pointed at me with her long skeletal fingers and then pointed in the direction of my house. It then looked directly back into my eyes, and as quickly as it attacked me, it disappeared into a bundle of rags on the ground. I lay there in the earth, panting, sweating, and looking at the bloodstains on my hands. I lay there in pain and in fear. It was then that I realized what I had just seen. The omen on bad news and earth. The banshee. It wasn't coming for me. It came as a warning. I had to get back to the house. 
I stumbled up from the earth and eventually ended up in the house. I found my sister standing in the kitchen, silent, in shock. She didn't hear me crashing through the door. I startled her when I touched her on the shoulder. She looked at me in horror, tears streaking her face, speechless. She looked at me, then looked to the floor where my mother lay, dead. Authorities report she died of a heart attack, but I knew what really happened. This is so sad. That's okay. I'm just going to read it. This is the last one. So, like, maybe this went from less of, like, banter and comedy to Kayla reading you a story amid coughs because I just smoked Stone Road. (laughs) So hopefully that is a good ASMR to you. Um, And this is the last one. It is called The Dangers of Fame. I awoke to the sun shining through the slit in the curtains and an odd feeling. When I sat up, I was struck with confusion when I saw my surroundings. This wasn't my house. How did I end up passed out on the floor in someone else's home? Okay, think, think, think. What happened last night? I said, rubbing my head in what seemed like a futile effort to make the memory return. Just then, something clicked. The party. My friends and colleagues held a party in celebration of another successful book completed. Did I really drink that much? No, it wasn't that. I knew what a hangover felt like, and this feeling I had wasn't that. Something didn't feel right. I didn't feel right. It was as if something was missing, but I just couldn't put my finger on it. I went to stand up, but froze at what I saw next. I saw blood that smeared and stained the hardwood floor. I jolted to my feet and searched my body for any cuts or scars. I found nothing. If I wasn't the one who had been hurt, then that meant that someone else was here with me, possibly bleeding to death. I shoved my hands in my pockets, rummaging around for my phone so that I could call for help. Searching my pockets for the phone led to no avail. I looked around the room once more to see if there was a phone that I could use. I saw nothing. I explored my unfamiliar environment only to find that there were no there were no phones whatsoever in this house. Maybe if I went outside and found the neighbor, they could help. I looked outside and saw that I was in the middle of nowhere. I had no neighbors to call upon. This was bad. I had to find the other person and get out of there fast. I looked everywhere. Opening door after door, I looked in bedrooms, bathrooms, upstairs. I called out to the person hoping that they would yell back and I could pinpoint their location. I heard nothing. Suddenly, out of the nothing, I heard a truck pull up outside. I ran down the hall in a panic. I came face to face with yet another door. It was open, though. And I could only assume that at the time it led to the basement. I heard footsteps making their way to the front door. I entered and quickly made my way into the darkness. I tried to be as careful as I possibly could while descending the steps into the pitch black basement. As soon as my foot touched the floor, I heard the door upstairs open, then slam shut. Honey, I'm home and I've got a surprise for you. He shouted as I heard footsteps making their way to the basement. I stumbled around trying to find a place to hide or something to hit him over the head with. Just then, I tripped over something. I hit the ground and started feeling around to see if I could figure out what it was. I grabbed a hold of something, someone's foot. For a split second, I was relieved to have found the other person. It was still kind of dark, so I couldn't really see much, but I was able to make out the shape of a girl sitting in a chair. Don't worry, I whispered. We'll get out of here soon. Our captor was at the threshold of the basement. I turned around, looking for a place to hide. 
Something caught my eye. I saw the tools that were sprawled out on top of a table, glistening in what little light had filled the room. I scurried under the table and pressed myself tightly up against the wall. I saw a bat leaning against the side of the table. When he wasn't paying attention, that's what I'd when I'd make my move and get both of us out of here. He turned on the light when he hit the bottom step. The captor came into view. Well, the bottom half of him came into view anyway. He was wearing dress shoes and a tux. I saw the girl a little more clearly now. She was covered with scars. Her skin was a sickening tint of white from the amount of blood that she lost. Isn't it beautiful? Well, it's not nearly as beautiful as you are, though. The unknown man draped a silky white dress over the girl and got down on one knee. The edge of the table was just barely covering his face. He took her hand and slid a ring on her finger. The way her arm dropped to her side reminded me of a rag doll. I wondered how she could be so calm and so still in this situation. That's when I realized the grim fact that she was dead. I let out a gasp, then quickly covered my mouth in an effort to stop the noise. The man didn't seem to notice. You made me a very happy man, you know that? I mean, we've had our moments, but I never stopped believing that we would be together someday. I listened closely to him. He sounded very familiar. Did I actually know this psycho from somewhere? He stood up and made his way toward the table. I slowly extended my hand towards the bat. He shuffled through his tools for a second and finally found what he was looking for. A book dropped to his side. My book. He turned around, gave the corpse a kiss on the cheek, and made his way toward the stairs. Now is my chance. I gripped the bat and shot out from under the table. When I was right behind him, I closed my eyes and swung as hard as I could. After a moment, I opened my eyes and saw him standing not three inches from my face. I jolted back and fell. I closed my eyes again and started frantically swinging. Get the hell away from me. I kept waving the bat around, hoping that when I opened my eyes again, he would be laying face down. I stopped for a second and hesitantly opened my eyes. He was still standing, looking straight ahead at the body in the chair. How was he still standing? How could he not have noticed me screaming and hitting him with a bat? I'll let you get ready, he said before turning around and making his way up the stairs. After seeing his face, it hit me. He was at the party. I could have sworn that I saw him at the party. He was one of the waiters. He brought me my drink. Then, the rest is kind of fuzzy, but I vaguely recall him carrying me out to the truck. Then I was here, and he took the bat and... Wait, the bat. I got ready to swing again, only to find that I wasn't holding it. I looked back at the table, and there it was, propped up against the table. But I could have sworn that I had grabbed it. What the hell was going on? Then I saw something that explained why I couldn't grab the bat and the feeling that I had earlier, that feeling that something was missing. I soon realized that what was missing was a heartbeat when I saw my body sitting in the chair with the forehead bashed in. And that is the end of this episode that has been weirdly hard to complete for some reason. If you have a second, and let's admit it, most of us do because we're in quarantine, go to Apple and give us a five-star review because that really helps more people to see us and you know the drill. You want to see pictures or memes or 
stuff that has to do with the episodes. Our social media for Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram is High Crime Pod. If you want to email us, it's info at highcrimepod.com. And so, yeah. Later, buds. <laughs> Lonely me. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you.